Hey Warriors! Today's episode is sponsored by Purium. Purium goes back to the original purity standards with products that have no colors, sweeteners, fillers, or genetically modified ingredients. They even offer a 60-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't like the products, you can send them back with no questions asked. Our listeners today are given $50 off products by going to ishoppurium.com and entering the code WARRIORWELLNESS. Real food, superfood for super results. This is the show for those who want to live strong in business, life, and family. Welcome to the Warrior Her Podcast. Welcome back to episode six of the Warrior Her podcast. Today I'm talking to Reagan Chanzer, lawyer, mother, and children's clothing designer. Her goal is to inspire little girls to saying, yes, I can, and being who they want to be. She's here today to talk about her mission to help little girls everywhere and what the life of an entrepreneur has been like. My name is Reagan Chancer. Um, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. About two years ago, my husband and I moved up to the Orlando area um, because he had a great um, job opportunity. So we decided to move. And um, I have two kids. <clears throat> Excuse me two kids. My daughter, Jaden, is five. My son, Jax, is three. And I started Mighty Girls last December. Um, and by day, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> so. And so how did you get into law? Let's start. Let's kind of oh, start there. Then. Wow. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, so I've always been a very inquisitive person. And I've always enjoyed researching things, probably ad nauseum. My father, may he rest in peace, was an attorney and recognized um, from a young age that I was very, very inquisitive and just used to ask lots of questions. I was that kid. Like, I would just ask my dad tons of questions always. You know, he would tell me something. I would ask a question. He'd answer it. That would lead to another question, another question. And I was just fascinated by things. I remember like reading the encyclopedias that we had and things like that. Um, so originally I thought I was going to become a heart surgeon, <laughs> but then I realized that I was going to be about 36 when I got out of training and decided that was not for me, probably is not for me also with my, like, I just don't think I have the temperament for it. Actually, my husband's a heart surgeon, so, and he's much more even keel. Um, and my dad was like, well, have you thought about becoming a lawyer? And I was like, no. He's like, well, I think you'd be a good lawyer. I'm like, okay. So that that's how basically I just decided to go to law school. And was, so was education important in your family growing up? Hugely important. Always, always stressed. 
did your dad all ever encourage you to go that route or was it just kind of encourage you to do whatever you felt and then it came to you that way? So my parents always encouraged me to have a profession and one that I could be my own boss if I ever wanted to. Um, Always encouraged me to go to graduate school. My mother, to her credit, always told me that no matter what I did, I would always, I would be the best at it that I could be. You know, she was like, if you become a teacher, I know you'll be the best teacher. You'll end up being like the principal. You'll be on the school board. That's just you, Reagan. So they were always very encouraging of me um, being successful. I think that, interestingly, um, excuse me, my parents never really um, stressed relationships or boyfriends or marriage on me. I got married when I think I think I was like 32. And it was never, when are you going to settle down? You should find a husband, <laughs> like anything like that. It was um, always talking about career and making a name for myself and the rest would fall into place. And I was doing some research on you for yes. this to try to kind of get more of an idea of mm-hmm. your law. So I knew that was part of it after, you know, some of our conversation. I knew that you were a lawyer, but I didn't have much information beside that. So then, I, you know, I found that you are in real, you handle like real estate litigation and administrative law. Is that so, correct um, or accurate? Well- Yes, I do real estate litigation, title insurance claims, um, going after bad agents, representing underwriters. That's what I do now. When I first got out of law school, I was doing um, toxic torts, like high profile plaintiff's work. Um, And so toxic torts and like high profile med mal cases. So we did some carbon monoxide poisoning cases. We had a Ben Lake case against DuPont. And that was really interesting and fun. And then I went into business law, like I guess commercial litigation. I was representing some banks and doing some transactional work as well, selling loan portfolios. And then, um, and then this presented itself. And I decided to uh, do real estate litigation. Well, do title insurance work, which I had, I was familiar with title insurance in the sense that I know that people have to get it, you know, when they buy a house. Um, I had read title reports before, which is the finished product, but I had never created a title report. So it was interesting because I got to explore a new part of the law something that I find interesting, kind of went outside my comfort zone at first to learn it, to learn how to create a title report. So, and I really like the people I work with. Do you see yourself doing that for the rest of your life? No, (laughs) (laughs) I want to do this. Um, I think that I like being a lawyer. I think it's an amazing education. Um, It gave me a level of confidence that I didn't have before I went to law school. I came out of law school as more confident. And throughout my career, I've gained confidence. And I think that it is an invaluable education. But I think that 
doing what I'm doing now with Mighty Girls, I can have more of an impact on younger, like, children, like little girls, that I think will be, um, well, the only way for me to have an impact, you know, basically on with young children in the, in my field in the law is to either become a guardian ad litem or do family law. And both of those I cannot do. I just, I think I would end up like taking everybody's kid home with me. <laughs> like I just have, I can't, it's too emotional for me. So, um, this is the, this is how I hope to have an impact and help little girls um, realize their potential. And so since you mentioned mighty girls, we're going to go off of our plan. Oh, sorry. No, no, not at all. This is why I like to have a plan, but plans change. Yes. <laughs> plans change. So mighty girls, the name for people who aren't aware of what it is, it's spelled my T E E girls. Correct. Like, a t-shirt I'm gonna guess that is yes. what that is um so tell me tell me about it yeah tell me about so, how you came up with the idea um it's funny I it was like around last December my daughter had asked me for some dinosaur galoshes that she wanted like very specific colors and I couldn't find them I was sitting on the couch while my kids were playing and I was searching for these galoshes that didn't exist, like that I couldn't find. And she was in her little princess dress building a garage out of blocks for my son's cars. And I took a picture of it and it just like hit me. Like here she is, you know, in a princess dress with the wands, like blessing the garage, sprinkling fairy dust, you know, in quotes, fairy dust all over everything. And she was like, I can be a builder and I can wear my princess dress at the same time. And, and it didn't seem odd to her. And I, it was just like that beautiful innocence and belief that she can be whatever she wants to be and bring her own flair to it. That I was like, this is it. This is what I, this is what I've been searching for. This is, you know, because I've never felt as fulfilled by being a lawyer as I have in the short time that I've been doing mighty girls. And my husband, who I mentioned before is a CT surgeon I always admire how much he loves what he does. I mean, the man loves what he does. Ever since I met him, we first started dating. That's one of the things that I love about him. And I was always, you know, envious that he just loved what he does so much. And I wanted to love my job so much. <laughs> and it just hit me. Like, I need to do something for little girls that, they will realize that they can be whatever they want to be. If they want to be a contractor and wear a princess dress, like who are we to tell them now? Only as we get older, do we start putting ourselves, you know, boxing ourselves in and listening to what society says for us. So actually my husband was on call. And when he came home from the hospital, I was like, I think I'm going to start a children's apparel line. And he was like, okay, he's super supportive. And, um, and the name Mighty Girls just had come to me. And I went on and I was doing some research um, and I saw that it was trademarked. So I decided to, I wanted to keep Mighty Girls. There was not, I just didn't think there was any other name. It just spoke to me. So 
that's when I did MY-TEE, which is also a play on t-shirts, which we carry. Yeah. And so do you, do you own the domains to those as well? Yes. And I also trademarked the slogan. Yes, I can. Now, did you know that you had to do that because of your, your, (laughs) your law career? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So have, have your roles as, as an entrepreneur and lawyer ever conflicted? No, I think that being an uh, an attorney has only helped me in this sense because of things like I knew right when I decided on the name to go check the database, you know, with the U.S. Department of Patents and Trademark Office and see if it was taken. Whereas some people might not know that and they might spend months building a brand and find out later that they can't use that name. This is actually fantastic information because that's something that I did not realize. And I mean, I have the domain for my, you know, the warrior her podcast, but beyond that, I, you should trade, you should trademark it and, and make sure that, um, you should trademark it and probably talk to a, a you know IP attorney because if you ever want to so when you trademark something you trademark it in specific categories so if you trademark it for something like magazines or you know a magazine or like a I'm not very familiar with podcasts mm-hmm. and trademarking but I would imagine that there is a category for that similar to like radio and later on you decide you want to do let's say hats, right? Like a embroidered hat. You have to then apply again to trademark it for hats and apparel. So you might want to talk, you know, think about what you want to do and talk to an IP attorney about, you know, filing your um, application. That's great information. There's, I have quite a few people that I know too that I don't know if they know that. Yeah, because if not, then somebody else can, you know, I, I don't know. I am I took an IP class in law school many years ago. So I remember some of it, but you obviously don't want somebody else to trademark it. Yeah, that's great. So, so you trademark the name. When did the actual creative process begin was it right away or was it after you kind of handled the legal aspects and got the name under I did them both at the same time Mm -hmm. how did you come up with the designs so so I had a girlfriend um her name is Jamie Richvining she's an amazing um IP attorney and I contacted her we trade we I filled out the application for Mighty Girls and also Yes, I Can, because that's our slogan, Yes, I Can. And I wanted to trademark that. And I was shocked that it wasn't trademarked. And I was like, I got to jump on that. So I did that. And at the same time, I started going on Instagram and basically researching through hashtags, children's illustrators. And I started contacting illustrators that I liked that I thought their work spoke to me and um, represent and contains elements that I wanted in my designs. You know, they're a little whimsical. 
They're um, somewhat realistic, but very cute. They're sensitive to ethnicities. Um, and I started getting in touch with these various women. And I came up with these design briefs. I had an idea of the patterns I wanted to start with. I knew I wanted to do a computer programming, computer scientist one. I knew I wanted to do a dinosaur one. Um, so paleontology. I knew I wanted to do um, female astronauts. I knew that I wanted to do a lady justice, which is, you know, near and dear to my heart. And, um, and I knew I wanted to do Amelia, like an Amelia Earhart, like a female pilot. So, um, at the time I was traveling back and forth to Miami for work, probably once a week or once every two weeks. Um, my mom and my sister still live in Miami. So I would stay at my mom's house and I would go down for like two or three days and I was flying out of Orlando. I would take the first flight out. So I was basically like, I think at the airport by like 5.30 and at the latest. Um, and while I was like waiting for the flight, names of the patterns would just come to me. Like I was like, oh, she wrecks. And I would be writing it on my phone, like in the notes section of the names of the patterns. And I was researching the various women that I wanted to include in the patterns. And then I would come up with the ideas that I wanted, you know, like, um, for the dinosaurs and um, the little sayings. I knew that I wanted Yes, I Can in all the patterns in some way. Um, and then I would just email the illustrators these design briefs. And fortunately, I think the lawyer in me, this probably is, is one of the things that helps with being a lawyer, I would just basically detail everything that I wanted. And then I created a Pinterest board for the illustrators, a very detailed Pinterest board of different illustrations, different doodles, things like that. And I would then in the description, tell them, I like this because I don't like this because so anyone that was looking at that Pinterest board, plus my design brief, they would have a pretty good idea of where I was going with it. And I've been very fortunate. I have some amazing illustrators that I work with. I rarely have to do any big revisions. And I've been happy with all of the prints. They're just amazing, I think. They definitely are. <laughs> um, but I think something that's really fascinating, well, two things that I just got from that. One is that the creative process, I feel like, so many different people that I talk to and for me included, like sometimes I'll be driving and for me driving, I get the most, I think of my ideas when it's just quiet. But you, you said you just were like putting it in your note section it was just kind of a random period of time. It wasn't like you sat down and tried to strategically think about what something mm -hmm. would look like. No, and it's interesting. My dad, may he rest in peace. Um, he used to always have dictaphones with him. Like I'm going back before cell phones could record. I mean, now they have voice recording apps, but um, <clears throat> he had one next to his bed <laughs> on his nightstand, one in the car, one in his briefcase, one in his gym bag. They were everywhere because anytime he had a thought about a case, he wanted to record it because he used to tell me all the time, a thought's going to come into your head. And if you don't get it down, you're never going to get it back. And so if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thinking about a case, 
just record it or write it down. So he used to give me dictaphones. And then when he passed away, one of the things that I took was like all his dictaphones and I just keep them in a little box. But when he said, you know, that always stuck with me. And that's why I would just immediately write it down on my phone. The I like phones are amazing that they can do that now. And I would just type up my ideas and I still do that. Sometimes I'll sit in front of the computer and I will come up with ideas and stuff like that. But also I'm very aware of the fact that it might be, you know, at 2.30 in the afternoon, you're stuck at a red light and it just pops into your head and you have to write it down or else you, you won't get it back. So with the, with the uh, dictaphone, those recorded, was it like on a tape? Yes. Did you ever, did you have any of the tapes that he recorded on? I, um, for some, no, um, his tapes, I think he had erased some of them. I don't have any that have his voice, but I do have two messages. He left me on my cell phone before he passed away that I, um, uploaded and like saved to 15 clouds and 15 flash drives and saw my iTunes and everything like that. So. And is your, your mom still alive? Yes. Oh, okay. I was just curious because if you had any of those recordings, I was going to see if you happen to listen to any of them or maybe get any, you know, really amazing ideas from any of those. So I no, I do have his, um, I do have all his flash drives from his work that sometimes I'll go to and I'll type something in like, um, a theory of the law and just like, I don't even know. So many things come up with case sites. He was a, he was a very smart man. So, and then, so the other thing that I thought was very important that some of the listeners may not may have missed, but I think it's important to highlight is what you were saying when you were saving those things on your Pinterest, that you were providing both examples and non-examples, right? Like you said, this is exactly what I like and this is what I don't like. Correct. And that's going to save a lot of time and a lot of headache between you and whoever's doing work for you. And that's something I've learned because it would be like, hey, I I want you to do this, but then I wouldn't specify. I'm still kind of in my process because... I am trying to figure out the direction of the logo. My logo, I hate it. It was like a thrown together. So I'm trying to find what I really like. And that has been very difficult for me. Um, I will say that the logo, when you find, when you find, when you find your logo, you'll know. It's just like what people say about the person that you're going to end up with. <laughs> like when you know, you know, yeah. I went through different logos. And when I got my logo, I knew I was like, that's it. And it wasn't the one and, and it wasn't exactly what I told people I wanted, but it, but I love it. That's funny how that happens too, right? You yes. think, you know, and then something else just speaks to right. you. So when did your love for female empowerment begin? When, how was it, you know, in that moment with your daughter and your son and they were playing and you just realized her innocence, but was it growing up? Like, did you always feel a sense of strength and empowerment in, in yourself as a woman, as a girl? Or yes. Was it something because you learned in law as well? E, well, I think it was furthered in law school. 
but my parents always my parents always raised me that I needed to be able to take care of myself that I have to do find a career path where I could take care of myself god forbid I could take care of my children if something happened that I don't need to rely on anybody else and I think that telling your children that they can rely on themselves is very empowering and especially if you're a girl because you know most i mean my mother's generation they were getting out of high school or college and getting married right away so it was only you know and then she has me and my mother was not like my mother got married later in life but um and she had been an, uh, a broker before she married my father for the New York Stock Exchange. So she was always very, uh, a very strong woman and self-reliant. But I think it's a very powerful lesson to teach your children. And I'm going to, and I teach both of my children that you need to be able to rely on yourself and take care of yourself and to give them the confidence that they can do that. Because it's one thing to tell somebody they have to do something, and it's another thing to make them feel like they can do it and that they're smart enough to do it and they're strong enough to do it. So female empowerment has always been, in that sense, um, something that my parents um, stressed. Then as I got into law school, I was around other like-minded women, you know, who are going into a profession who um, wanted to, you know, be able to take care of themselves or uh, had various goals for themselves. And when you, when I got out of law, well, in the middle of law school, and also when I got out of law school, um, I was mentored by a, an amazing judge, may she rest in peace. And she was a force to be reckoned with. And I worked for some female attorneys that were amazing forces to be reckoned with. And I think that I always, I never really felt like I couldn't do anything because I was a girl. And then as I got into the workplace, I started at times running into, I guess, stereotypes that I thought were ridiculous. Or, um, do you remember any of them? Any chance that yes. you would be willing to share? <laughs> That you would be willing think, to share? Um, I think that there were um, there were definitely comments made at various times in my career that were borderline inappropriate. Um, I think that there was some firms that I worked with that definitely kind of looked at you um, like... I remember one firm, one of the partners said something to me like, well, you're always going to be a secondary income. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, but that might, I said, that has nothing to do with it. First of all, that's none of your business. Second of all, that has nothing to do with it. Just because I might be a secondary income doesn't mean that I'm not as deserving as the next person to either a raise or a bonus. Um, but those types of things, I remember being like shocked that people would say those things to me. And I remember telling people like, I'm not shocked you think of this, but I'm shocked that you are saying it out loud. If I wasn't who I was, you could be in big trouble right now. <laughs> like crazy people. Um, but that kind of double standard. 
a hundred percent double yeah. standard and it yeah. still exists and they just kind of look at you different I think also once I had kids um I feel like you you're looked at a little bit differently in the profession like well you're a mom and your kids take you know their top priority I'm not ashamed of the fact that my kids are my top priority and my husband is my top priority I'm proud of that because I think that means I have my priorities straight but just because my kids might be my top priority or my husband might be my top priority doesn't mean that I can't do my work and that I won't put in the time when I need to um I've always been such a hard worker and um probably at times focus too much on work and not enough on family but I think that once but perception is other people's reality right so you can talk to your your blue in the face and be like no no it's gonna be I'm not gonna be like that but that's what people are gonna think they're gonna think it and I think that you run into that a lot still in my field where they're gonna say oh well she's gonna have to run home well what if her kid is sick or something like that and um I've had to say a couple times to different people that I have worked with before like well when your kid was sick your wife took care of your kid like hello <laughs> I'm the yeah wife. it's really interesting actually so I um my day job is um I work with children teens and adults with autism mm-hmm. doing behavior analysis wow um and our field is primarily women and it's actually really amazing and the company that I work with is predominantly women as well like we we really really need men in the field just because of certain client needs and things like that Mm -hmm. but it's really awesome to see in our field and you know we're I'm not certified yet I take my test in November but um uh, you know to see clinicians as women and you know hosting seminars and doing trainings and it's it's I love it I am all for it And, you know, I do CrossFit as well. And I still get it all the time. And especially because I'm like lifting weights and it's, you know, I, I just, I hear a lot of things like double standards. So when I'm in the gym and I'm owning it, right. Cause that's what Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm there to do. And it'll be like, why are you so aggressive, Courtney? And I find those things very interesting. Kind of the more subtle double standards that are just still to me just as frustrating because and there's nothing wrong with saying you know I think that sometimes we take things to be um well it all depends on how it's being said but there's nothing wrong with either a man or a woman being aggressive when they need to be like I I work out I lift weights and I box and if I'm boxing like I hope people think I'm aggressive (laughs) Otherwise, yeah. I'm not getting a good workout in. But um, so I think it just depends on the person who's saying it and how it's coming across. Because I don't think that it's wrong for a woman to be aggressive. I think that's, that there's a stigma against saying that a woman is aggressive. But in my opinion, um, and perhaps this comes a little bit more from it when I've been working cases, when I was doing plaintiff's work and I was having to go around interviewing witnesses and things like that, you have to be aggressive. If you're not constantly following up and knocking on the people's door, they're not going to willingly give you an interview. So I would just 
I, that's where I really learned how to be aggressive, like constantly call, go after what I want. And I'm not ashamed to go after what I want. I think that where there's an issue is when that the quote unquote term aggressive is said as um, almost like somebody's trying to insult you or make it negative. Like you're being um, less feminine or it, whatever that means or a bitch or something to that extent where they're not, because if a, if a person says that a man's being aggressive, that means he's like, he's going after what he wants. Yeah. It's usually used in a positive context. Right. right. And that's where it, and it's ironic because the same person who said that also, um, we were talking about a specific workout and that I, we have a cap, right? And so in CrossFit, there's like certain caps and we do this mm-hmm. whole big CrossFit open thing that people from all around the world do every year. And I was like, well, I'm going to finish it. And he's like, be humble, Courtney. And I'm like, what? Like, so, you know, it's so crazy when people say things like that. Fuck? I just look at them and I'm like, you be humble. <laughs> That's what I say. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's just like, like, there's a time and a place to be humble and it's not, or you know, I, I just find as someone who's very assertive and very strong-willed that I know I get that I can come across a certain way to some people sometimes. But in the context of what we're talking about, I find it to just be offensive. It's so you know? annoying. It's I mean, what I find most offensive, because if somebody says to me, oh, well, you're being very aggressive, I'll, I always just look at them and I'm like, thank you. Will you tell my boss that? That means I'm doing my job correctly. I appreciate that. And it's just kind of like, then I think that they're a little bit taken back. What I can't stand and what drives me crazy, and it happened to me about two weeks ago, and I really lost my mind on the person, is when a man will call me honey, sweetheart, sweetie on the phone. First of all, we don't know each other, so don't get that familiar with me. Second of all, I'm talking to you as an attorney. I'm not your honey, sweetheart, sweetie. And don't use those terms trying to placate me. And I just, I tell the person, I said, I said, look, I asked him nicely five times to stop. And the sixth time I lost my mind and I just went off. Because I said, you know, you know what? Like I didn't pay for myself to go through undergrad and law school to be patronized by you. I've asked you nicely five times not to call me honey, sweetie, baby. And now I'm demanding that you stop it or I'm going to hang up. And when you learn how to, you know, talk to me appropriately, you can call me back. And that was to my client. (laughs) That's great. But I just am not going to accept that kind of treatment. I don't accept it from anybody. And I think that that when you start accepting it is um, you just chip away at yourself. And there's, you know, you can ask. I believe in asking nicely. I don't think that it's wrong to ask somebody, please don't call me, you know, please call me by my first name. Please don't refer to me as that. And if they choose not to listen, then they're asking for it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know so, it's like kind of like would you and and part of me I mean I don't say it, but part of me wants to be like do you want your daughter to go through this like just grow up you know what I mean like would you want some man to refer to your daughter like that if she's on the phone speaking to him in a work situation it's just not appropriate show me the respect I deserve 
Well, I also think people who are who are doing that probably have very traditional gender roles anyway. <laughs> so, I think so. I think that I think it's split. I think sometimes, I mean, when I first started practicing, I was in I forget where I was in Florida, but it was a, a smaller city in Florida in court and the judge was much older and he came from like a different world basically and I didn't take it to be as insulting mm-hmm. because I understood where he you know he grew up in a different age yeah he recognized what he didn't apologize oh, well that when, definitely when matters you know it does. older man I feel like a grandfather a 70 yes. year old man talking to me that and saying those things may be a little bit different than someone and when they recognize it and apologize without you having to say anything that's helpful too but when it's somebody who may might be 10 years older than me 15 years older than me I mean you have no excuse in my opinion and so I'm just I don't it's just things like that that I feel um try it they just try to I don't know if it's um I think that it hurts our ability to further ourselves in our careers and also in our internal dialogue with ourselves about about you know our self-worth or what we think we can do in this world things like that it's all just kind of continuing to put up those barriers that we're trying to knock down have you had this experience at all with mighty girls with no. anything in in that realm no at all do you primarily deal with women in i mean do you have employees is it just you um right now it's just me i work with um you know like the basically like independent contractors. So there's mm-hmm. the illustrators I'll work with, the factories I work with, but I don't have any employees, employees. And then are you making, like, do you make the actual clothing or are you kind of, if, and this may be something you're not able to divulge, um, but so feel free to tell me if you can, <laughs> but um, is it something that you, like you're actually making at home by hand or do you have it, like you're wholesaling the the shirts or the clothing, whatever you're doing, and then you're putting your mighty girls on it or like so no, it's not like, OEM. Know? So it's not like a private label. What it is is that I have all the designs made just for mighty girls. So all the illustrations you see are just for mighty girls. I own the licenses. Um then I go to the factories and I have it printed on fabric and made into the leggings those are my designs so you won't find them these illustrations anyplace else because i own the licenses to them okay and if you can touch on some of the listeners who are maybe interested in oh sorry interested in um maybe built starting their own children's clothing line or clothing line what's some advice you could give to them on where to start or boy there's so much I was so fortunate there were some women I met through Instagram that helped me along the way because it is such a learning having never gone to school for fashion or I have no idea about you know all I know about clothing before this was what I would buy for myself and my kids 
Um, now I know a lot about textiles and things that I, and I'm still learning. I, I didn't even realize all the different methods of printing on fabric. It's just a lot of research um, and asking a lot of questions, going to a store, finding what you like, like go feel fabrics at a store, take pictures of the labels with the makeup of the fabric. Because sometimes you think you'll know what it's made from and you are 100% off base. And if you see something that you like, for instance, printing on a fabric, you go to, let's say, The Gap, and you see that they have a shirt and you're like, this is printed nicely. I would suggest buy that shirt and send it to a sourcing person or your factory and they'll be able to tell you how that's made because what you think it might be and what it really is could be like complete you might be completely off base and what about some of the numbers that are involved you know how much capital do you think people should start with or how do you do you think people need to first invest do you think that they should kind of test out the market and like, where do you stand on that process of it? Well, I'm self-funding it through being my, through being lawyer. So I'm, I mean, you know, I don't know. I think that you should do some market research. Um, tell people, you know, people you trust, tell your idea to do a lot of research online about whatever designs you're looking to get into. There are companies now, like, for instance, Printful, where it's a print-on-demand company, and you could, in theory, put your designs up. Somebody can order from your website, and if you integrate Printful with your website, apparently, like, they'll buy it from you, but the order goes to Printful, and, you know, it'll get shipped to them. Now, there might be, I've never done that before. There might be upsides and downsides to it. Like you don't necessarily have control for the shipping. Does your label get put in, et cetera? I don't know. But I think that there are more and more companies nowadays doing that where maybe if you don't have the overhead capital to start, but you want to start something, you can go down that route too. And what are you, what are your, again, something you may not want to divulge and that's okay too. <laughs> um, but so for some of the people who are in business or looking to do that, what are, what are your sales like at this point in time? Like how have you grown since just the start? I mean, you've only been doing this for a very short amount of time. Like it so hasn't my, even been a year, right? You no, it has not been a year. And I just got my merchandise. So that's the other thing I would say is factories I would add on if they tell you they can give it get it to you in a month and a half I would put it at two and a half months like it's just craziness um I think that there are delays that are unforeseen I would ask I would tell people ask the factories their holiday schedules because you know not every country has the same holidays we have in fact some countries have much many more holidays and they're longer and like everything stops and and because we don't have that we're, we might not be aware of it which i learned now um but i would ask those things on the front end because i got my leggings in oh gosh i think the end of august beginning of september 
because of all the delays and delays delays <laughs> and you're sampling you get sample it's not right the color might be off you go back they send you another sample i mean it's it's a long process to get the product that you want how you want it especially if you're going to be you know you're putting your name on it you're putting your money into it you have a right to be picky about it and i wanted it to be the way you know the way i wanted it so i went through numerous um samples and that took time and then when we went into production i think there were like two holidays then there were the riots in hong kong the protesters that held things up because <laughs> it was being made in hong kong and finally then um i got then it took a while for fedex to get um the leggings out of hong kong and um i think it came in late august early september my website was finished about a month ago that okay. was great too <laughs> no yeah i people when it comes to hiring web develop um go with people that you that you know are reliable and i would tell people which i didn't do but in the future i will do it i would put something in my contract i don't know if web developers will sign it i guess i will find out later on where if they give you a date that they tell you it's going to be promised by every week that it's delayed you get money back off your contract like you don't owe them as much you know because my my website was delivered to me months after it was supposed to be delivered to me. Wow. That was a very, very, very frustrating experience. One that I hope I never have to go through again. I really was beside myself with that because I had these leggings in my house. I'm warehousing everything myself <laughs> and no website. Mm. And my website was supposed to really, in theory, be done at the same time I received the leggings or before. And I was wow. going to take pre-orders, so. So um, has that been the hardest part, do you think? Of, yes. Of the. The hardest part has been dealing with things like that, where I'm the type of person, if I have a deadline, I meet it. If I can't meet it, I tell you in advance and I tell you why. But I have found that, especially when it came to my website, it was like radio silence. And then when I would ask about it, I was getting all these excuses. And I just want people to be honest with me. And I want you to tell me, if you're going to tell me Wednesday morning, I'm expecting Wednesday morning. I'm not expecting Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening or Thursday morning. I'm expecting Wednesday morning. So I tell people, be cautious when you give me your estimate. Because in my day job, I'm held to that standard. So I hold people to that standard. And what are your, what are your goals for Mighty Girls? What do you want to do with it? What is, what is the next five to 10 years look like for Mighty Girls? So what I want to do with Mighty Girls is obviously expand the line. I'm making, actually, when you're saying to make things at home yourself, I, I am sewing. I am teaching myself to sew. I'm making some... 
twirly skirts and different other items that I'm, you know, testing out that I want to start selling. And I want to start making some of it in-house myself, maybe some higher end dresses and kind of have like a, a little bit of a higher end line or like cute dresses and things that, you know, with like a Peter Pan collar or something like that. Like I wore when I was, and, um, we're starting as part of the blog. Um, a mighty girl of the month where we're going to interview a little girl and feature her and also a woman and feature her. And, um, my eventual goal for mighty girls is to sponsor young girls that come from, I should say, you know, that their parents can't afford to send them basically to camp to send them to STEM camp. That is amazing. So that's my hopeful goal because when I was younger, um, my parents went through some rough times and there was a summer that I couldn't go to summer camp. And when you're young, you think, oh, yeah, it's going to be so great. I get to do nothing. And then after like three days of doing nothing, you want to be active. Kids want to. And it was miserable. That was like the most miserable summer. And afterwards, my um, parents got scholarship for me to go to summer camp from the JCC. And I got to go back to summer camp. But I am very cognizant of the fact that I was able to go because of donations people had made to the JCC to their scholarship fund. And so I want to pay it for send girls to STEM camp, A, because people help send me to camp through that scholarship fund, and B, because I think that girls need to be going into the STEM field. And, um, and I think one of the ways to get girls excited about it and make them feel good about it is going to fund camps that focus on it. That's amazing. Whatever I can do to also help that initiative. Oh, thank you. um, I will be happy. I know quite a few people who would be on board with that as well. Thank you. That's amazing. I would definitely love to support that. Definitely any, any, I'm happy to talk to whomever. Like that's, that's my goal. So, you know, where I see mighty girls in five years is doing that. And in 10 years, being able to send more girls to camp. Um, and, you know, partnering with some, some other organizations that really make a difference. There are some organizations that I've reached out to um, that for whatever reason, reason have just hit home with me um one of them is uh your mom cares about bringing awareness to children mental health issues um then there are some organizations that also focus on science technology engineering art and mathematics for young girls um just also some organizations that are trying to help funding in the systems that I think is important too because if our school systems are not funded and our teachers aren't getting what they need to be getting we can promote STEM all we want but if the supplies aren't there and the textbooks aren't there and the motivation isn't there for the teachers then it's really you know it's so hard um for all children then to get the education that they need and not to stand on a soapbox, but I think that teachers are way underpaid. So I really believe that we should be putting more, I think this country as a whole 
needs to be putting more of an emphasis on education and respecting our teachers and providing what they need to help us raise our children and the next generation. Because when you think about it, I mean, my kids are with their, at their school eight, nine hours a day, I think, eight to three. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, seven hours. Then they have after-school activities. But for seven hours, te- my, those teachers are helping me raise them. They're teaching them not only the subjects they need to learn, but they're teaching them manners. They're teaching them how to socialize with other, teach, with other children. They're teaching them right from wrong. They're teaching them um, critical thinking skills, judgment, things like that, that you would be teaching your child if they were at with you. So I think that we really need to focus on education as a whole country. I agree. <laughs> and as someone who was in a classroom, for I only taught for two years. But um, I left teaching. That wasn't so much the reason I knew behavior analysis was more of I would have more reach with that, but um, I agree. I definitely think that they're underpaid and, um, you know, everything you said <laughs> really hit the nail on the head. I think that if it, I, I think that children also learn, you know, from their parents. And I think that we need to, it, as a whole, just show the teachers that we value them. And also I think that, you know, unfortunately, I was very blessed. My parents always were there. We ate as a family unit every night. We ate dinner together. And um, and my parents, like, were always there if I needed help with my homework. And I know that that's not – that sometimes is impossible for some families. And they wish they could be doing it, but perhaps their work schedules don't allow for it. And then I think that then there needs to be some types, and maybe there are, in various school districts uh, because of the age of my children. I, I don't have to research this yet, but, you know, have some organizations or, or uh, groups that children can get that from if they're unable to get it at home because of whatever their family dynamic or their situation is, or if their parents are working in the evenings, things like that, because it really helps just for children to know that people care about them or to help them. And I think that that's something that we also need to stress. So, you know, my goal for Mighty Girls, trying to take it back to where we started from, is to really, you know, obviously it's promoting STEM and other fields. So it's, I'd say, STEM and beyond um, that have historically been male-dominated fields, showing little girls all of the strong women that have come before in those fields that have succeeded because I think that one of the ways it's one thing to tell somebody something and it's another thing to show them. And I think that if we can give little girls strong female role models that have been astronauts or been lawyers and judges or been engineers, and they can see someone who's actually done it and succeeded at it, that will give them the confidence to move forward in that field too. Reagan, there is nothing I love more and ending my show with a nice bang, just like you just <laughs> gave me. So thank you so much for thank joining you. me. Please tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. Um, if you want to now shamelessly plug any like events you might be doing or attending or being a part of that 
you know, we can help get people there. Thank you. So my social media handle, so on Facebook and um, Instagram, it's at Mighty Girls, M-Y-T-E-E-G-I-R-L-S. My website is mightygirls.com. And we're going to be running, I think we're starting it next week, a promotion where we are giving a, a portion of the proceeds of the sales of All Things Pink in the web, on the website to the uh, Susan G. Komen Fund for Breast Cancer Research. And so I just would like to announce that. And I can include, you know, this information too. I'll have it in the show notes for everyone who may need some clarification and information, but I'm really excited to kind of see what you guys do in the future and watch the brand grow and and just watch everything that you're going to change in the world for girls. And thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on my show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me today on the Warrior Her podcast. And remember, girls really do run the world. Hey guys, it's Courtney from the Warrior Her podcast. Just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking of doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Pretty Easy Podcasts helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio right at their disposal. You can record from your home or your office or even at the park. Pretty Easy Podcasts caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show right at your beck and call. If you have an idea for a show and need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today.